The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. We invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For more information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org. I invite you to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 7. Appreciate the prayer that was offered, particularly how we should thank God for His blessings in our life and thank God for answered prayers. And this morning we would like to consider Ebenezer stones, memorial stones in our life where God has blessed us in a special way, in a powerful way where He's answered prayer. We are commanded to set up a stone of remembrance for our benefit, for the benefit of others, for teaching others that when God has blessed us in a special way, the scriptural pattern that we see here is to set up a stone and a memorial so you can look back and say, I was in this need, I was in this difficult situation, I prayed unto the Lord, I poured out my heart before Almighty God, He heard me, He blessed me, and you put up a stone, a memorial stone in your life so that it will encourage you and strengthen you when the next trial comes. Because in this world we shall have tribulation. And the trials of this world and the tribulation that we encounter in this world are just like the tides. There comes a time where where the tide goes out a little bit, but the tide will always come back in. And I'm thankful for those little reprieves when we have a little bit of a break and and the trials of this life externally. I don't know if you're anything like me, but sometimes uh, when the external trials are uh, challenging, God blesses me with uh, grace sufficient and you can can meet them. But, But sometimes when things are kind of like quieter around you, that's when I struggle more internally. And it just seems like there's very little moments of true peace because I'm either struggling externally or internally and some combination of both at any moment. But here in 1 Samuel chapter 7, we find that the Ark of the Covenant has not been with God's people and he's been following the story of this Ark of the Covenant, finally making its way back. But now the Philistines are gathering together against God's people and the children of Israel are nervous about this. So they go to Samuel, who is the leader of the people, at this time the last of the judges and the uh, first of the prophets so first samuel chapter 7 and verse 8 the children of israel said to samuel cease not to cry unto the lord our god for us that he will save us out of the hand of the philistines and samuel took a suckling lamb and offered it for a burnt offering and holy unto the Lord, and uh, Samuel cried unto the Lord for Israel, and the Lord heard him. The Lord heard him. And as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel. But the Lord thundered with the great thunder on that day against the Philistines and discomfited them or confused them, and they were smitten before Israel. And the men of Israel went out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and smote them even until they came unto Bekar. Then Samuel took a stone and set it between Mizpah and Shin and called the name of it Ebenezer, saying, Hitherto hath the Lord helped us. Now, you may recognize that, uh, one of the most well-known songs in Christianity and in our uh, song books too is come thou found come thou found of every blessing and one of the lines in there <clears throat> is here I raise my Ebenezer here I raise my Ebenezer and this is where this comes from this is a period of time in God's people's history where they saw themselves in great peril they saw themselves in great need they took it to the prophet of God the prophet of God prayed unto God for them and the Lord blessed them with a mighty victory against their enemies and then the way that they commemorated that is they took a stone and they set it up 
and they named that Ebenezer so that they would have something to look at and to remind them of a time in their life that God especially blessed them to praise God for that. And then when the next trouble comes and you're doubting, well, I don't know how the Lord's going to get us out of this one. Then you can look at that stone. You can look at that Ebenezer stone and say, this is how the Lord delivered me in times past. And therefore I have confidence and hope that God will deliver me in the future. And Wednesday before last, I was reading in Joshua chapter 3 and 4 where they had this miraculous crossing of the Jordan River and then they set up 12 memorial stones to commemorate that and we'll make our way over there in a moment. But when I was reading that Wednesday before last, I just started weeping because everything started coming to my mind at the same time of all of these moments in my life where I have experienced these Ebenezer moments and they all just hit me all at one time and all I could do was just cry and say thank you Lord thank and, and but then the sad part was is not that that those happened it's that I realized that I had not set up the, the kind of Ebenezer stone that I should have though to look back on I mean I had them in my head like I knew it I knew the facts and circumstances of those of of those events but then I had not truly set up an Ebenezer stone to where I look back at this and say you know what it doesn't matter what's coming the next go round it doesn't matter what's coming the next trial God blessed me then and the same God that blessed me then is gonna bless me this time as well so in my mind then I said I need I need to get to building <laughs> I need to get to building some stones some Ebenezer stones but I hope that you have those moments in your life where you have seen God bless you in such a special way. And you, you can say along with Samuel and all the rest of the people of God, he is my stone of help. That's what Ebenezer means. It literally means a stone of help. Hitherto, the Lord hath helped me. And we certainly know that Christ is a, is a stone. He's the rock of ages. We, we, we see that imagery presented very often in scripture uh in psalm 118 and in verse 22 he is the the stone that the builders rejected a stone we find in daniel chapter 2 where he's describing the coming of the kingdom of god and that uh image that describes those worldwide kingdoms well there came a stone that was uh made without hands that came out of the mountain and then that stone uh, smote that image and, it, and then that that kingdom that that the stone established uh, filled the whole earth and then obviously we know Jesus is as being the uh, the rock of ages and uh, over there in Matthew chapter 16 that um, upon this rock speaking to Peter upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it so he's a he is the, the stone and the rock that we can put confidence in. I preached yesterday at Bethlehem Church down in Bay Springs that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that gives us a lot of confidence. It really should give us a lot of stability that uh, if, if I had, if it uh, describes Jesus as a, as a palm tree, you know, you see them palm trees when the hurricanes start coming down in Florida, aren't they? Well, they're swaying from one side and swaying to the other, but you don't know what's not moving in the middle of that? You realize that the Rocky Mountains don't move, right? <laughs> the the, uh, the boulders and the rocks and the mountains of this world, they don't move regardless of how uh, strong the, the wind is blowing. Why? Because it's stable. It provides stability and security in the midst of that. So he is our stone. But primarily, this word Ebenezer here means a stone of help. A stone of help. And Christ certainly is our stone of help. Let's go to Psalm 46. And we're going to highlight just a few verses this morning here in the book of the Psalms that uh, present this idea, but I would encourage you to just search. It's so easy now. Uh, my 
Bible app, my preferred Bible app. It has such a great search feature, and it's so easy to take two seconds to find all the times that the word help is in the Bible. But particularly, I would encourage you to, to look at all the verses that uh, describe help in the book of the Psalms, and you will be very encouraged and blessed in looking at all of those verses. In Psalm 46 and in verse 1, God is our refuge and strength. He is our fortress, our protection. It says in Psalm 27 and verse 1, The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? He is our strength and our uh, encouragement in the midst of trial, but particularly as Christ being our stone of help. He's our refuge and strength, but a very present help in trouble. Okay? A very present help. God is not afar off when you're in the midst of trouble. When you need help, God's not, I love the <laughs> sarcastic mocking uh, that Elijah made of the false prophets when he was battling them on Mount Carmel. He said, you know, I, your son, I mean, you're, you're God. Uh, you may need to cry a little bit louder because he may be on a journey. He may be taking a nap. He may be sleepy and tired so if maybe if you just yell a little bit you know I, he may be sleeping kind of deep so if you just yell a little bit louder maybe you'll wake him up uh but then at the same time i know you may be in need right now but maybe maybe he's on a trip and he can't get there in time you know uh we, we have people that that we will uh, contact when we stand in need but you know what regardless of how much they love us or how much they have a desire to help sometimes they're just not in a proximity to be able to help us uh, in that immediate need. But aren't you glad that's not the case with God, right? He is a very present help. He's right there all the time. When you stand in need, he's only one prayer away. No, he's right there anyway, right? <laughs> Praise God for the times that he blesses us even when we're uh, not, don't have enough self-awareness to pray in the moment. So when I say he's one prayer away, that doesn't mean he's not gonna show up or bless you if you don't pray. But I, I do believe though that if you do pray, effectually and fervently that he will bless you in a very special way in the time of trouble. That should be our default response, you see. When we get in trouble, we should not um, wait until we've exhausted all of the options that we felt like were the best logical things to resolve that situation. Now, now many times the way God does resolve situations is by you performing an action. So I'm not saying you just sit here and say, Lord, do something, you know. No, most of the time it's by you doing something that he provides that deliverance. But your default reaction, your first thought, when you encounter some difficult circumstance, your first thought should be like Nehemiah when he was before the king and he was about to beseech him to go back to, he, he had heard that those walls were torn down and he had a burden to go back and try to uh, build the, the walls back there in Jericho. And this is the kind of prayer life that we need, that as he's talking with the king, and the king says, why are you troubled? Why are you cast down? And, and then before he answered, in the lickety-split right there in his mind, before he answered the king, it says, so I prayed to the God of heaven. You see? Those are the kind of prayers we need to have all throughout. That's what praying without ceasing looks like, by the way. We don't have the ability to have our eyes closed and our face on the floor. 24-7, we have things that we have to do. But even in the midst of your daily conversations, especially when you know it's a very important conversation, Lord, please bless me. Lord, please give me the right words to say. Just like Nehemiah did. So I pray to the God of heaven. So during those moments when you see those trials and tribulation comes, your, your first thought in your mind should be just like Nehemiah. So I pray to the God of heaven. Lord, bless me. Lord, please, please give me what I need right here in this moment. Why? Because he is a very present help in trouble. He's right there. He's right there willing and able to help his people. Psalm 33 and verse 20. Notice a couple verses leading up to that. Verse 18. Behold, the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear him, upon them that hope in his mercy to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. You know, we think about 
Peter, when he was walking on the water and he got distracted, took the eyes off Jesus and he started sinking. And he said, Lord, save me. You know, he wouldn't ask him to be regenerated. He wouldn't ask him to go to heaven. He said, Lord, I'm going down to the bottom. <laughs> I mean, and, and, and which, by the way, a little side note to that. Um, Peter was a professional fisherman. And that tells me that he was probably a very good swimmer, right? But his initial reaction was like, oh, man, it was not, oh, I'm sinking a little bit. All right, I guess I just need to swim back to the boat. <laughs> his initial reaction was not to say, you know what, I, I know I'm a good swimmer. I appreciate you taking me this far, Jesus. I, I think I'll just go back to the boat now. And then I'll swim back to the boat. His initial reaction was the right response. Lord, save me. Right? That's that Nehemiah prayer. Lord, save me. He wasn't relying on his own swimming ability. And God is right there in his providential care for his people to deliver their soul from death, and particularly in what context to deliver us from death, to keep them alive in famine. It's not talking about heaven, right? It's talking about a deliverance from temporal death right now because, I mean, think about all the times that God delivered his people in times past from famine. I mean, think about how the Lord even used the wicked nation of Egypt to provide food for Abraham and Jacob and all of, the, all of his family in the midst of that and how the Lord provided in the midst of a drought and judgment because of the wickedness of Ahab, how he allowed a widow that Elijah went to for her meal and cruise of oil to not fail during that entire period, right? I mean, he provided for their needs. Our soul waiteth for the Lord, verse 20. He is our help and shield. He is our stone of help. And then in Psalm 28 and in verse 7, again, so many passages that teach the same lesson, and I would encourage you to look those up on your own. The Lord is my strength and my shield, my heart trusted in him, and I am helped. Therefore, my heart greatly rejoiceth, and with my song will I praise him. My heart trusted in him, and I am helped. I'm not going to put confidence in myself in the midst of that trouble. I'm going to put confidence in the one who is a very present help in the midst of that. And then what do you do when God blesses you? You don't just go about your merry way. You fall down on your face in, in prayer of thanksgiving and say, thank you, God. And then you need to get to building. You need to build a memorial stone right there to, to give you help and confidence in the future. My heart trusted him, I am help. Therefore, my heart greatly rejoiceth. And my song, and with my song, will I praise him. We praise and honor God when he blesses us in this way. Let's go to Joshua chapter 3. And here God's people are, uh, this new generation is getting ready to go into Canaan. The, the first generation uh, were very negligent of setting up Ebenezer memorial stones in their life. I mean, you want to talk about uh, one of the most amazing deliverances and what should have been a great memorial Ebenezer stone for them uh, should have been the crossing of the Red Sea, right? Now, this is another miraculous crossing. We have the Jordan River here that's overflowing. There's no natural way that they should have been able to cross this river. Uh, the Ark of the Covenant goes over there and very similar to the Red Sea. As soon as they put their foot in the water, it immediately is dry ground, just like the Red Sea was dry ground. But it's interesting, the contrast between the whole generation that ended up uh, rebelling against God and doubting God at every turn, uh, they had amazing deliverance there at the Red Sea, and then they get a little bit hungry, and they say, we want to go back to Egypt, and they start turning on the Lord all the time. And then they have 10 of the 12 spies that come back with an evil report, and they say, well, you know, we can't take them. We, we, we can't handle these guys. I, which, by the way, I, I'm just going to assume that the Egyptian army that God had just killed in the bottom of the Red Sea was probably a lot more fierce and uh, more difficult to conquer than those Canaanites that they saw there in the land. So 
So what they should have done, right, is that Egypt is the most powerful nation in the world and God destroyed their entire army in this miraculous way of opening up the Red Sea and we walked through on dry ground. I mean, isn't it something that they walked through the, the bottom of a Red Sea and instead of getting mud on their shoes, they got dust? I mean, it was totally dry. There's no possible way that that could have happened apart from the power of God. And they should have been like, wow, look what God did. Look how we doubted. I mean, that's what they did beforehand, right? They were turning on Moses and they said, we should have never left. And then he said, stand still and see the salvation of God. And then the salvation of God was manifest in a powerful way. And then what did they do? They said, thank you for allowing us. Oh, by the way, where's the food at? <laughs> right? But they get a little bit hungry. And instead of looking back at that amazing deliverance, they say, well, you know, I know God got us out of bondage. Rich, by the way. I mean, just amazing riches that they came out with. All that gold and silver and, and the purple tapestry and all that stuff that they built the tabernacle with, that was all Egyptian riches. They should have looked at all of that and said, you know what? I don't know where food's coming from, but he promised us that he's going to take us to the promised land and we got to eat before we get there. So he's going to give us something sometime. I mean, that's how faith should work. That's what I want you to understand is that we're going to make our way to Romans chapter 5 that we rejoice in tribulation and then tribulations work patience, endurance in the midst of that and those faithful uh, endurance of patience of those trials, they produce experiences and that experiences produces hope and those experiences should be the Ebenezer stones in your life. That you see that God has blessed me in this moment and in this moment and in this moment. Like it says in Job, he has delivered me in six trials and therefore I know he's going to deliver me in the seventh. Why? Because he has proved himself faithful in the first six. He's promised he'll never leave me, ever save me. Why should I ever doubt that he's going to fail me in the seventh? That doesn't make sense. That the God that doesn't change that has promised you that, that he's going to bless you all the way up to this point, and then he's going to say, well, now it's up to, now I'm not going to save Peter. Now it's up to him to swim back to the boat, right? <laughs> he's not going to do that, no. So these Israelites should have seen this amazing deliverance. And they should have, in their mind, and in their life, set up an Ebenezer stone. Which, by the way, um, we have memories and we have um, stories that we tell. But I think there's a lot of value. I mean, I, I don't, I'm not asking you to go out and get a whole bunch of rocks and have, you know, ten different sets of rocks in your front yard that you got to mow around. Yeah, I wouldn't want to do that either, right? That is getting in the way. Uh, but you should have these bookmarked in your mind, and, and it may be helpful from time to time to have a little memento, a small little bitty thing, a picture, <coughs> or, you know, I think about a, a little dish that's on the, on the side of my desk in my office at home, and then a uh, soapstone lion that I got over there in Kenya, you know, and I, and I look at that from time to time and I, and I think about that, that trip I had over there. Um, and if the Lord ever blesses us with kids one of these days, I'm looking forward to saying, you see this line right here? <laughs> you see this line right, you don't know where this came from. Uh, and, and tell them about the amazing time. We went over to Africa and we baptized about 30 folks and all of the, the great blessings that were associated with that. But a little bitty memento, it's a simple thing, right? A little bitty memento that can be a prompt of a discussion. That's what we're going to get to here in a minute. God didn't just give them, tell them here to set up 12 stones just so they could have 12 stones in the middle of the river, okay? It was for the purpose of teaching. It was for the purpose of teaching the next generation that God blessed us in this way, and guess what? He's going to be with you in the same way because God is just the same today, and he's promised to care for his people. So those Israelites that saw the, the amazing, miraculous crossing of the Red Sea, they did not set up that memorial stone in the manner that they ought to. And then what did they do? Because they didn't put confidence in that, their faith was weak. 
They made poor decisions, and they all, that whole generation, died in the wilderness. But now we have a whole new generation, a whole new generation that are going into the land of Canaan. And God gives them a miraculous crossing too. Isn't that interesting? God gives this new generation a miraculous crossing, and then what do they do? They set up 12 memorial stones. Now, this river was overflowing, okay? It says that in Joshua chapter 3 and verse 15, the time of the year that this river was overflowing. So this was not just like the Red Sea. This was not um, them wading through a swamp. This was not some little bitty trickling creek. This was a full-fledged, overflowing Jordan River, all right? And then he says, I always enjoy this language. It's hard for me to go to this passage without highlighting this. In Joshua chapter 3, he says, the Ark of the Covenant is going to go ahead of you. It's going to go um, 2,000 cubits ahead of you, which is 3,000 feet, so you know, almost, almost half a mile in front of you. Now, the Ark of the Covenant is the picture of Jesus Christ, right? Remember there in the holiest of holies, the mercy seat sat on top of the Ark of the Covenant, the three components of the Ark of the Covenant, the law, Jesus fulfilled the whole law, Aaron's rod that budded, he's the great high priest, a dead branch now bringing forth life, picture of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Mar, a jar of manna, Jesus is the bread of life, okay? So all of that is pointing toward Jesus as the Ark of the Covenant. And he said, look, the Ark of the Covenant is going to go ahead of you, far enough ahead where you can clearly see it, but not lagging behind where you don't know where he's going, but also you're not going to be ahead of the Ark of the Covenant. Why? Because it says in verse 4, I'm putting this Ark of the Covenant ahead of you so you can follow it. Because the end of verse 4, for ye have not passed this way heretofore. You have not passed this way. You don't know where you're going. The whole time they were in the wilderness, they followed a cloud by day and a fire, a cloud of fire by night. They didn't know where they were going. They just followed the cloud and the fire by faith. And they didn't know the right way to go. They didn't know the right place to cross the Jordan River. So what were they supposed to do? They were supposed to follow the Ark of the Covenant far enough back where you can see it, not lagging behind where you don't know where it's going. But here's the problem we normally have. We always want to be out in he ahead of the Ark of the Covenant, right? We want to be out ahead of Jesus, and, and then we want Jesus to follow us. Well, listen, that's not how it goes. That's not how it works. <laughs> you don't ask Jesus to follow you, right? No, you follow the Ark of the Covenant. Why? Because even if we're going through our daily life, you have not passed this way before. I mean, even if you think that it is a regular day, I'll tell you, regular days can turn into non-regular days in a split second, right? You have not passed this way before. So what do we do? We follow Jesus. We follow the direction of Jesus in faith because we have not passed this way before. So God gives this amazing deliverance of uh, putting heaps on both sides and they pass through on dry ground again and they follow the Ark of the Covenant. They follow Jesus right there uh, through the crossing of the river. But then he says in Joshua uh, chapter 4, he tells uh, them in verse 3, <clears throat> and actually 12 men uh, out of the people, out of every tribe of man. So of all the 12 tribes, one man out of every tribe. So this is a collective effort. This isn't just one man building. Uh, the, all of the nation of Israel have been delivered. So every tribe is represented. You're, you're personally invested in this. You're personally invested in this memorial. So he says, take you hence out of the midst of Jordan and out of the place where the priest's feet stood firm, 12 priest feet, uh, 12 stones, and you shall carry them over with you and leave them in the lodging place where you shall lodge this night. And then he goes on to say uh, that you pass over, verse 5, uh, take upon you every man of you a stone upon his shoulder uh, according unto the number of the tribes of the children of Israel. They're going to put these stones in the middle of the river uh, to be a sign that this may be a sign among you that when your children ask their fathers, 
in time to come, saying, What mean ye by these stones? Then ye shall answer that the waters of Jordan were cut off before the ark of the Lord when it passed over Jordan, and the waters of Jordan were cut off, and these stones shall be for a memorial unto the children of Israel forever. A memorial for them to teach their children. Then he reiterates this, this, this point in verse 21. They take the stones, they put them there in the river, and he spake unto the children of Israel, verse 21, saying, when your children shall ask their fathers in time to come, what mean these stones? The purpose of these stones is to prompt discussion so fathers can do their responsibility to teach their children. It's the father's responsibility to lead the home and to raise their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And he says, this is going to be a prompting to where you're not having to just start from scratch all the time. No, I can show you while we're taking our, our family trip and we, we happen to go down fishing uh, by the side of the Jordan River and your son says, what are these stones right here? He said, let me tell you about the time that God blessed at this time, these stones are going to be here a long time. Bless your great, 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 great granddaddy. You see, it wasn't just that these were meant to be permanent. These weren't meant to be just for one person to tell. This is a, this is a, a generational testimony of God's blessings that wasn't just for the, the following generation. It was supposed to stay there permanently so that this this testimony of God's faithfulness will be passed on to all generations in Israel because it was for the purpose of teaching them be a memorial, verse 7, unto the children of Israel forever. He says here, when your children shall ask your father, what, what do these mean? Then, verse 22, ye shall let your children know, saying, Israel came over this Jordan on dry land, for when the Lord your God dried up the waters of Jordan from before you until you were passed over as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea when he dried them up from before us until we were gone over, that all, now what's the purpose? You teach it and you say this is how God blessed us, but also you even go back to the Red Sea. This is an evidence of how God blessed us now, but it also gives you an opportunity to talk about how God blessed the prior generation too. What, for what purpose? That all the people of the earth might know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty that you might fear the Lord your God forever. You don't know something else about this? I kind of tend to think that the story got out uh, past the Israelites about what these stones were there for too. <laughs> It doesn't just say that it's only for the nation of Israel. Now, now it is to teach them, but that all the people of the earth. I, I kind of feel like that those Canaanites, there came a time where they knew what those stones meant too. Why? Because that was a testimony of, of faithfulness to God's people, but it was also a testimony to the enemies of God too, that God blessed his people in the midst of that. Let's go to <clears throat> let's go to Psalm 71, and there's many verses that teach very similar lessons, but this is the one we want to highlight here in Psalm 71 and verse 18. The purpose of these stones is not for it to be decorative; it's so that they will stand out, they will be noticeable, and they will stand out in such a way that your children will say. That doesn't look like a regular rock. That doesn't look like that rock should be there. Daddy, what's that, what's that rock there for? And then that gives you the opportunity to brag on the Lord. That gives you the opportunity to say, this is how God delivered us in times past. And son, there's going to come a time in your life where you're going to be in a difficult time. And you're not going to know how the Lord's going to deliver you. And you may be looking at a sea, and there's no way for us to get over the sea. There may be uh, uh, no ability that you can see in your life of how this situation can be resolved, how any of this. But you want to know what? God blessed our grandparents 
to have a mighty deliverance and a way was made where there was no way and you need to have confidence and faith in God that God's going to bless you in the midst of that too. Why? Because God is faithful to his people and he will never leave us and he will never... That was the purpose of that stone is to teach the next generation. So he says here in Psalm 71 and verse 18, Now also when I am old and gray-headed... Now, uh... There's no middle, uh, middle age in Scripture. It says young and old. And what the Holy Spirit said right here, no, no offense to, the, to those of you that have crowns on your head. Proverbs calls uh, gray hair a crown. You've earned it, right? But it does say those that are old and gray-headed. So that's, that's, that's what the Lord said, you know, not, not David, right? But if you fall in that category, but also I would also say you don't have to get gray-headed. Uh, for this to be applicable to you. We all have a responsibility to teach uh, the next generation. And even if you don't have children of your own, there are children in the church that you can minister and encourage. Uh, there are nieces and nephews that you probably have, people that you have interactions with. And I'm so thankful <clears throat> for the testimony of so many people, even here in this church, that over uh, our fellowship together and, and any many times our great fellowship that we have in having lunch together back here and that time of fellowship that we have that I've heard the testimony of Ebenezer Stones in your life that are an encouragement to me and none of you are my biological parents but there are people that have been willing to share the Ebenezer Memorial Stones in their life of how God has blessed them and I have been encouraged and strengthened because of your willingness to share that testimony. And by the way, where we're going to end up is, it is your responsibility for you to do that. It is your responsibility to tell others about how good God has been in your life. It is your responsibility to do that. And you might just be like me and neglect that responsibility. Okay? Now, he said... Here in verse 18, now also, when I am old and gray-headed, forsake me not. And that, that's a good prayer, right? Lord, my body's breaking down. I have all these health problems. Lord, don't forsake me. Amen to that. But he's praying don't forsake me for a specific purpose. He's saying, Lord, don't forsake me for this purpose until I have showed thy strength unto this generation and thy power to everyone that is to come. Lord, get, keep my health as good as it can be, to, not so I can just keep hanging around here, but Lord, give me the, the health and the strength and the ability to where there is some child of God that I can encourage and strengthen. And, and there is so, God's structured his church so perfectly that you had this balance of young energy and strength and excitement, but then you have the wisdom of those that have, have been around and had these experiences, and God is structured in, in, in that way for a reason, that those of us that are, we may have more energy and zeal, but we're young and dumb. So we need the, the people that have, been, uh, that have had the wisdom to, to encourage us in the midst of the trials that we're in because we don't have enough life experience to, to understand uh, many of the, the, the challenges that are in the midst of the, the trials we're in, especially when we're young. So God has structured his church in such a way that the aged women, what are they called to do? Instruct and encourage and teach the younger women for the aged men to do the same thing. For what purpose? For what purpose? that I will show your power to the next generation, that I will show your faithfulness to his church and your faithfulness to his people to this generation so that they will be strengthened, so they can draw closer to the Lord, so they can have kids, so they can teach their kids and their grandkids. You know, we talk a lot about the, uh, the perpetuity of the ministry. Commit these things unto faithful men who be able to teach others also, who teach others also, who teach others also. But that's how it should be in the entire church body. Do you understand that? that? That's how it should be 
with, uh, and you probably have these stories in your family's life, by the way. I mean, you, you probably have some story of your grandparents or your great-grandparents that this is a time in their life that God blessed them. Blessed them, guided them in a providential way. And you want to know the reason you know about that? It's because they told their kids. And their kids told their kids. And then your parents told you. And you can have confidence and faith in God, strengthened because of the testimony and the faithfulness to relay that testimony of how God blessed your grandparents 100 years ago. You understand that? That's how God has structured this. That we set up these moments in our life, these Ebenezer stones in our life, so not just that we individually would be strengthened in the moment, but so that we can build this, this Ebenezer stones of experience to encourage ourselves and to encourage others. Okay? And to encourage the, the entire church. Let's go to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. And while you're turning there, we're going to look at these experiences that we rejoice in tribulation, uh, patience, uh, tribulation works patience, patience experience, and experience hope. Think about a couple of very simple examples uh, from, the, uh, from the Old Testament. Uh, David, when he was getting ready to go to Goliath, <clears throat> he, he was stirred up and he said, um, I can't believe that no one is uh, putting this blasphemer in his place. I'm going to go out there and fight him. And then he goes to Saul. Saul tries to give him his armor. And he said, no, I'm going to take that armor. But David's testimony was that the one that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear is also going to deliver me out of the hand of this uncircumcised Philistine. What's he doing right there? That, is, that should be the process of faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. The end result of this right, this, uh, this faith formula in Romans chapter 5, the end result of that is hope. And hope is the basis of faith, right? Okay? So what David reasoned by faith was, God bless me with the lion in a situation that I probably didn't have the natural ability to defeat this lion. But guess what? I killed him by the grace of God. I didn't have the ability to defeat this bear. But guess what? I killed that bear by the grace of God. Do I have the natural ability to defeat this, this Goliath? Of course I don't. But guess what? The God who delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, this Goliath, just because he's tall, it didn't make it any more harder <laughs> for, for God, right? So he reasoned by faith, God blessed me in times past. Therefore, I have full confidence and faith that he's going to bless me right now. And then he killed Goliath. And then he took Goliath's armor into his tent. He took, took his sword and chopped off his head and, and did some other things with his sword. But it's interesting, though, it specifically highlights he took his armor into his tent. Well, what, what's one of the reasons he did that? It's so that the next time that there was some trial in his life, he can look over there to the armor on the other side of his tent and say, well, you know what? I, I'm, I've got the experience of the lion. I've got the experience of the bear. But also I remember when I killed Goliath. And, and he took a memorial so he can look over there at that armor and say, you know what? God blessed me in three times in the past. This is not any harder. He's going to bless me right now too, you see. So, Romans chapter 5, <clears throat> verse 3. Not only so, but we glory in tribulations also. And knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed. Hope's not going to let you down. Because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Yet that's one of the values one of the benefits of why God suffers these trials and tribulations to come in our life sometimes. You know, think about Job. I think there's a couple different layers of why God suffered that to happen with Job. One of them was personal purification because he said, Lord, when you have tried me, I'll come forth as gold. So no doubt one of those examples was personal purification. But I think one of the 
primary reasons why God saw fit to suffer that to come in Job's life is so that it would be inspired in his word so that we would be able to look at the deliverance in Job's life and the overcoming, overpowering grace that not only did he give him grace sufficient in the moment, but then he blessed him twice as much at the end as he did as he did before, we can look at that testimony, that Ebenezer Stone and Job's life, we can look at that testimony and receive confidence that God will bless us in the midst of that. That's one of the reasons why God suffered that to happen, is, is to give a testimony of his overcoming power even over the devices of Satan. We need to give Satan his, his due, uh, due respect. But don't you ever think that Satan is more powerful than Jehovah God? That's one of the reasons why God suffered that to happen in, in the life of Job, is so we would have this testimony of Scripture to where if I lose my business, regardless of who's behind it, I mean, if Satan's behind it or just the natural course of this world, if I lose my business, if my children die, if I lose my natural health, and if my wife turns on me, you want to know who's still with me? God is a very present help in time of trouble. And guess what? By the end of it, God blessed him twice as much at the end as he did before. You see? So God suffered that to happen for a testimony so that we would be encouraged by Job's life and what, what God blessed him with in the midst of that life. That, that is an evidence that we can look back on. So there are you, you may not be old enough in your life to have some of those personal experiences. And I have some of those, and I've seen how the Lord has blessed me. And I tried to, and I'm no role model by any means, but I, but I have seen the Lord's guidance and providence in my career and how he opened the, the right door at the right time for a job. And I'll tell you, I waited a long time for a wife. I prayed for a long time. And, and in the middle of my despair, I was like, well, you know what? I don't know where it's coming from, but I do think that God blessed me in this circumstance in times past, and I just... Prayed about it. I waited. I tried to do what the Lord was burdened me to do. And then I waited long enough, and the Lord opened the right door at the right time. And I said, you know what? He blessed me in this way in times past, and I'm just going to try to wait patiently. And then guess what? The time came when the Lord opened that door. You see? That's the, that's the process of faith that a mature Christian should engage in. That you've blessed me in times past, and I praise you for that, and I've set up a memorial for that. And I, when I am doubting in the midst of the current trial, I look back and see how God has blessed me in the past, and that gives me confidence right here in the moment. You see, uh, this is kind of summarized in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and in verse 10, who delivered us from so great a death. And I think that's talking about eternal salvation. Now, if you ever think that God's not going to provide for your needs here in the moment, and he's going to forsake you when you were in your lowest State, your lowest state is not some sickness here in this, this world. Your lowest state is not being unemployed. Your lowest state was being condemned to hell. And, and God sent his son to die for your sins. So if he saved you from that, why should I ever doubt that he will forsake me here in my life? And now, not only do I know that in principle, not only do I know that in principle, but then I have experiences in my life who delivered us to so great a death and doth deliver. I've seen it. I've seen him providentially move in my life. I've seen him open a way where there didn't appear to be a way. I've seen him open doors and bless in my life. He doth deliver right here, right now. And what does that do? That encourages me. What's the third part? In whom we trust by faith. In whom we trust, he will yet deliver. You see that? You look at what God has done for you in it. If you ever doubt, you want to talk about memorial stone? The only memorial stone you really ever need is the cross. The only memorial stone you ever really need to look at is to look what Jesus Christ came and did to die for your sins so you could be with him in heaven. Right. And then if you don't feel like that you have these memorial stones in your own life, you have the whole word of God. 
And there is no temptation that's taken you but such as is common to man. It doesn't matter what trouble you think you have, that you think that, that nobody's ever had as bad as me, nobody's ever had this problem before. If you study the Word of God long enough, you're going to find somebody who not only had that problem, but God blessed them in the midst of that problem. All right? And whom we trust he will yet deliver. And God gave us that, that testimony in Scripture so that we would look at how God blessed people in times past and during those natural moments. I'm not, I'm not trying to tell you that if you ever doubt and worry and have fear and anxiety that you're just living in abjects. That's natural. That's natural, but that should not be where you remain, all right? It's natural to have those thoughts, but then what does the mature Christian process of faith do? Yes, I have that natural concern and anxiety, but God blessed me in times past, and I may not see a way right now. I may not see how it's going to work out, but you know what? God blessed me in times past, and I have confidence He's going to bless me in the future. And if God does bless you, if God opens a door, and you, you need to set that up for your own self, no doubt. You need to bookmark the time, date, and place, and, and the circumstances. I, I uh, have tried to write down some of the immediate time-sensitive circumstances that have happened in times past because it won't be too much longer because I'm before I will forget the exact chronology of the timing of how things happened that made it such a such a providential open door. So I, I've made a point for the most important ones to write those things down because I'm going to forget the specifics of this happened this day and this happened this month and uh, give it a little bit of time I'm going to forget about that. But if God blesses you in that way, it is our obligation to praise Him and glorify him. And as he told the wild Gadarene, you go home and tell your friends what great things the Lord has done for you. You, you tell and you shout it from the rooftops when God blesses you in that way, not to draw attention to yourself, first of all, to glorify God, but I guarantee you, if you're willing to do that, I guarantee you that there will be someone that will be encouraged and strengthened with how God has blessed you in your life and you are depriving your fellow child of God of that if you keep it to yourself. Go home and tell your friends what great things the Lord has done for you. Set up those memorial stones because we have an obligation. We have an obligation to give God all the glory and all the honor for his blessings in our life and use it as an opportunity to not only teach us, but I, I, I mean, I know stories of people that, uh, not necessarily my family, but other people that are among the primitive Baptists that how the Lord providentially guided and blessed of 150 years ago that have been told to people and told to people and told to people. And it's like, wow, I can't believe the Lord did that. Wow. Uh, and I'm encouraged by that. You want to know the whole reason that I know about it? <laughs> it's because there were pe people that were faithful to brag and glorify the Lord when he blessed them in a mighty way. Okay. Christ is your stone of help, but set up those Ebenezer stones and use it as an opportunity to teach others, to glorify God, that others will be strengthened and encouraged so that our faith will be strengthened and trust God in the midst of trials, in the midst of this life. We thank you for listening to today's message and invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For further information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org.